So in leadership, especially in healthcare, everybody's got an awful lot of examples of things that have happened to them and events that have perhaps taught them things along the way. And these need to be really valued and shared with others. It does, of course, mean keeping uh, personal information uh, withheld. However, uh, apart from that, the examples can be incredibly intense learning for others uh, and spark debate, spark action and get other people really interested in what you're talking about. Any sort of delivery of any any lecture really in fact a little bit that comes from the presenter about who you are and what you're really about communicates something beyond everything that you're talking about of the particular topic people have chosen to come and uh, learn about Um, it's almost um, opportunistic for them to come and learn something else they didn't expect to learn And getting that as part of the essence of your workshop, lecture, whatever you're delivering is really important at sharing um, material in a heartfelt and genuine way. It also transmits values and really that's what people are buying into. It's who you are as a person, what type of ways of thinking, what really drives you and particularly what are your inner values that uh, make you uh, work in a particular type of way that others can learn from. It also means people can link into and collaborate more easily once you've fostered that sort of sense of identity that they're connecting to. So being a leader is very much a matter, in, particularly in healthcare actually, is very much a matter of demonstrating who you are as a person, giving it some identity and getting people actually at the end of your talk to come up and say, wow, that really struck a chord with me, that made sense to me that kind of um, struck a note so really important to get that piece across within any part of your preparation it's quite good to do it near the beginning because that gives an essence of um, the sentiments that might be coming up in the rest of the lecture Um, the other part is also taking into account within that what else is going on in the grapevine the examples of what you've noticed elsewhere outside of your immediate world what you've read what what has influenced you again it should be non-hearsay it should be uh, factual as much as it can be but it's very good and also you start other people during breaks and networking time also sharing their uh, knowledge and their experience and it gives them almost permission to start telling those tales those stories that are really important to them to the other people in the room which is great for team building and in fact in healthcare that team essence um, of getting to know people is really important to build trust within the the team itself but also that then manifests really very well in terms of patient healthcare um, that this team feels like it's very connected it's also part of the story taking people from a to b to c is leading people into the future because many people do want some sort of narrative to follow or some sort of example where they perhaps have been a little lost or a little confused or want to have some sort of solidity uh, of something of a story and that story doesn't have to give a perfect outcome or a perfect journey but it is a real story that you've managed to overcome issues uh, with collaboration and actually um, challenges have been uh, looked at some things are failures some things are successes but it's a real life story and that is what people buy into most when it comes to leadership so something to cultivate and think about when preparing for any form of lecture or interaction So osteopathy for me has very much been um, a vocational uh, career Um, and in many of the people uh, I've spoken to who have trained in osteopathy they've very much felt that it was something that drew them 
because of perhaps their own personal experience of injury and being helped by an osteopath personally or a family member in, in, in different instances also had been helped by an osteopath so much so that that persuaded them to train so in fact that happened to me my mum was actually uh, uh, had very bad back problems and was hospitalized on traction offered uh, corticosteroid injections uh, and then eventually surgery and this had gone on for quite some years before she'd started talking to someone who'd seen an osteopath and even then it took her quite a few months to actually make that leap to say I'm going to try it uh, and she did and after two or three sessions of treatment she was so much better it was uh, noticed really even within the family how much better it was even though I was a schoolboy at the time um, that the pain had reduced and her mobility was better and that was huge for the family to not have a mother who was out of action and unable to participate in family activities so yeah that kind of calling to a career a vocation that osteopathy is is common to many um, and that actually is what took me to decide to train at the British School of Osteopathy um, and I studied in 1984 to 88 and qualified and wanted to start my own practice to start with um, and found it um, difficult because osteopathy wasn't very known at the time uh, amongst other professionals and even amongst members of the public but gradually the practice grew and the referrals from GPs grew and it was clear that this sort of journey and pathway uh, was incredibly rewarding and interesting because the variety of cases and age groups and people that we come into contact with and I did over the years uh, produced a network of referrals um, and um, a very satisfying uh, career pathway to follow. Once qualified as an osteopath, I started my own practice pretty well straight away and there were a trickle of recommendations. Often the people who promised they will come and see me when I qualified actually didn't show up for several years until they heard from a third party that I was worth going to see. But nevertheless, the inroads I made with local corporations, in fact, I remember Johnson & Johnson, the head of HR, invited me for lunch and we had a meeting and I was there literally a few weeks later speaking to all of their staff um, uh, about osteopathy and what we could do to help um, any problems they may get from sitting at a desk and working. And this was many years ago, but Johnson & Johnson, actually, to give them credit, and particularly this individual, was very... Um, welcoming to bring this to his staff um, uh, in the Maidenhead uh, head office and so that really actually got things going they even gave me the boardroom uh, to use for treatments in fact every week and I was there treating people until I got through I don't know 30 or 40 of the people who wanted to come and see me out of the whole workforce um, and they'd all started improving and then in fact I, I, I could pull out from actually doing that as a as a visiting practice if you like into their head office. So that was one avenue I took and uh, amongst others um, also worked in uh, a number of GP surgeries over the years um, and developed very good relationships and even developed uh, a funded referral network from two large practices in Berkshire um, for quite a number of years as part of a funded program that existed at the time um, within PCTs, um, primary care trusts at the time. And um, so that actually produced referrals of a very different type. Um, sometimes one might say the heart sink patients that were uh, had been to see the doctor many times and had been medicated for quite some time, but the doctors were open-minded enough to actually refer to me. And um, in fact, 
I was invited to have um, come to their practice meetings on a regular basis to update them and present, you know, what we were doing and how we were working with the patients. So they got feedback on the most appropriate referrals, where the successes were and where they could focus uh, particularly their energies. Um, Also taught them a number of evaluation skills uh, to help them really assess patients a little more accurately in practice done in brief but nevertheless in a useful fashion uh, and that got me in fact quite often invited to the postgraduate centre at Wexham Park Hospital in Slough and in Heatherwood in Ascot to speak to groups of nurses and GPs and GP trainees uh, over a number of years actually just talking and demonstrating uh, practically what an osteopath does from the observation examination point of view as well as the hands-on treatment um, and that's that was very, uh, I think, useful because doctors who may have been a bit sceptical, asked a lot of questions during these meetings, actually became regular referrals for their patients, uh, referrers, I should say. Um, and I think that, that type of loop where they actually could ask questions frankly uh, and engage with me fully was a very useful and powerful learning tool to develop interprofessionally, in a sense, between what an osteopath does and what a GP does regularly in practice and we know these days you know many of the patients who see GPs have got musculoskeletal conditions and it's a skill set that um, you know osteopaths are particularly uh, adept at that's our training that's our area of expertise and I know talking to MSK um, GP uh, special interest groups for example up um, in Hertfordshire uh, some time ago again that group was very keen on learning and hearing we did a a seminar on sciatica and low back pain um, and that went down very well in fact and it was practical as well as theoretical um, and it was a room full of GPs from all over Hertfordshire and that was a great um, and interesting uh, way to, to share my knowledge and uh, hear really also where their reticence were uh, and, and where their misunderstandings perhaps sometimes were as well about what osteopathy was and what it did and what it does uh, for patients um, and it I think underlying the point and the need particularly to explore um, not just the treatment modalities, but the evaluation skills and the way of addressing problems is so much more stand back and look at the big picture, which is quite hard to do when people are presenting in pain um, and demanding, in a sense, attention for their direct pain. So that's a little exploration of some areas I've uh, worked with, um, certainly with GPs and exploring those relationships with GPs over a number of years uh, in the Berkshire, Hertfordshire areas. Keep it positive is something people are talking about a lot at the moment when actually many people are feeling exhausted, burnt out and rather less than positive. So how can one actually move forward to make changes and reflect when things feel so down? Pressures are mounting and sometimes it actually forces the pressure to make people want to make more changes perhaps than they can cope with currently. So it's very important to sit back, to reflect to actually feel the feelings that are going on and actually perhaps make notes, write things down to maybe make a note for some future time to come back and reflect on perhaps where you want to take your career or your life. It's easy to actually stop doing this when one is feeling down, but actually there are times when there's a little bit of uh, blue sky and that's the moment to take hold, not to make a big change, but actually to note down some possibilities and ways to take things forwards. It's really important to also not negate negative feelings, but actually to sit with them for a while and ponder and to think and perhaps not take action at that point in time. The development that can happen from 
perhaps a little bit of solitude and a little bit of time walking around the park and contemplating what's really going on for you might actually make you feel perhaps more sad. But at that moment, avoiding sadness or down feelings uh, or perhaps even slightly depressed feelings um, actually is a, is a shame to waste the opportunity. It's your body telling you that actually you need to sit back and, and, and hang on for a little bit. Um, it's a bit like um, appetite in some senses, that um, when you really feel hungry, it's important not to eat too fast. But in the same time, when you have no appetite at all, it's important to feed your body healthily and to keep sustained, even if perhaps at that moment of time you don't feel like taking on a lot um, so this is all part of getting to know yourself, accepting that there are days when perhaps you're not as productive as you'd like to be um, and days you need rest, in fact, and to realise when relaxation is the most important thing and taking time out. And perhaps a change of scenery, uh, mentioned earlier walking around the park, but um, that sort of feeling where you can be free, perhaps going out early in the morning when it's fairly empty and quiet can be a better time to have contemplation um, and actually walking and not having a phone with you and not actually having distractions can be quite a useful way to allow you to sink deep into yourself and allow your thoughts to move um, in different directions. It's not perhaps so much pushing out thoughts that are slightly negative, but actually embracing them and accepting that uh, these are teaching you something. Um, sometimes um, when you've been particularly emotionally um, perhaps angry or had a strong feelings of emotion, they can often cover up um, other deeper feelings which can be more negative or depressed or sad. And those sad feelings, once they're out, actually help balance your um, frame of mind and your behaviours and probably help you actually interact with people in a more healthy manner. So, yeah, the long and the short of it is reflection is, is good. Um, deep introspection for too long can be limiting and perhaps uh, might need help from a professional psychotherapist or, or psychologist to help you work things through. And, and sometimes that can be a route that people take for a while or an extended period of time. Now, it's of course, having a coach can be a very useful way to bounce ideas off another person who is completely independent to you rather than someone who you know, a family member or friend, um, because it's important that that person challenges you enough um, and it's hard with friends or family who might want to please you uh, in where your mind is taking things and where your ideas are evolving. So there's some ideas anyway to, to think about trying to um, stay calm, stay relaxed, embrace your feelings uh, and be productive when you can be rather than putting yourself under even more pressure.